Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie. Patriots Against CPS Corruption invites you to attend our March for Texas Children. DFPS has failed the families of Texas. The Texas Special Committee on DFPS has also failed the parents and their children. Time to make our voices heard and surround yourself with those on the same mission as you. Join us on on the March for Our Children, September 21st, 2022, starting at 1 p.m. at 701 West 51st Street, Austin, Texas, 78751. I welcome back to the show Steve Thomas. He was on earlier. Uh, he is chairman of the Kentucky Society of Professional Investigators and director of the Kentucky Special Investigative Unit in Louisville, Kentucky. Mr. Thomas began as a private investigator in 1991, and now he is the owner of the company as well as operating as director of operations, managing a team of private investigators and process servers specialized in insurance fraud, criminal defense, infidelity, child custody, and witness location. I welcome you back to the show. Steve Thomas, how are you? And what got you into this? <laughs> uh, you know, it's a it's a fun, it's a very funny, very long story. The cliff notes are as a bail bondsman working my way through college, I stumbled upon, you know, the owner of a huge tech company, not at all pleased that you know, I got his back number at his house and you know, and chased down one of his employees on a on a bond jumping thing. We became great friends. And ultimately, you know, I, I pursued a career in investigations because there was so much that could be done. It was so, you know, heady, the, you know, the impact we had. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I'm sure you had a lot of cases coming down the pike. You know, I don't know how you juggle all these cases. It's interesting, you know, you start out and you're assigned a case and typically 80% of our work was originally insurance fraud, workman's comp auto accidents, slip and falls, these kinds of things. People who can't tie their shoes for the rest of their life, and yet they can roof their own house or, you know, operate a privacy, you know, put in a privacy fence. They can, uh, they can wrestle, they can, you know, they can go fishing and skiing, and, um, but they can't dress themselves for the rest of their lives. Now, these are often relatively younger people who have the most to gain. You know, these things often end up with somebody receiving at least some portion of their income for life. When I mean, you talk about a 30 year old man on a good job, full medical, you know, the whole thing, it's, uh, it's millions. It, it, it adds up to millions per claimant, per, per fraudulent claimant. So that was great for me, catching a bad guy, I'm making a dent until they told me it didn't really matter. <laughs> the insurance adjusters were there to adjust. These people were gonna get paid no matter what we did. Our best thing we could do was mitigate that. So that kind of pushed me into more of the criminal area of, of my of my work, you know, starting the smallest assault case, uh, you know, to capital cases that I work for the Commonwealth uh, of Kentucky. It's, um, you know, the criminal cases were great, but unfortunately, you know, after 30 years, I just, I, I got burned out. You know, I got jaded and it, you know, it affected me. What, what's Nietzsche say when you look into the abyss, you know, after 30 years, it looked back. So mm -hmm. I, uh, with the passing of my mother, my mother was murdered in 2015. And I, I began 
nonprofit organizations for victims of domestic violence, children in danger, um, you know, Spanish language liaison, you know, free service. There's so, there's so many things that I can I do and can get back. Um, still have great aspirations for when I get what I want to get back because that's the secret of my success. Mm-hmm. You know, 30 years, I've grown old in a, in a, you know, in a career that most men never grow old. There's no old folks home. There's no 401k for us. Um, mm-hmm. I'm the venerated elder in my profession. I'm the last man standing from the original, you know, six ugly, you know, the good, bad, and the ugly from the eighties. I am, um, I'm proud of that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think that, you know, this is, um, this is a calling. And the moment I bought the company, started in 91, bought it 20, exactly 20 years later. I own it. It's mine. And I run it my way. And the pro bono work, the previous owners would hang me outside for giving away the store. But in giving away the store, I made so many incredible contacts. And those contacts have sent me business. Very, you know, very good business. The esteemed clients. And I don't advertise, no work, you know, no brochures, no, no billboards, no, no, no business cards. You know, it's all word of mouth. So if somebody got my phone number, they got it from somebody that they know and somebody that they were, that was very happy. They would put their name on me and um, what better, what better advertising. Mm-hmm. That was great. And, and you also went undercover in a prison for how many Oh, 60 days was it? It was a it was a, it was a television show called 60 Days In, uh, involving eight civilians that wanted to go undercover into an ICE detention facility. You know these federal immigration, you know MS13, uh, Sinaloa cartel, Medellin cartel, Aryan Brotherhood, Pecker Woods, pardon my language, um, the blacks, if you will, very. Uh, rigid, very strict environment and very dangerous. I mean, I, I had a CO stabbed with two other corrections officers present in, in his presence 21 times. Uh, I don't know if he even survived. This was in my dorm. Um, by the fifth season, having, you know, I haven't seen my, my share of the inside of a jail cell over, over the years. I know what, I know what happens in there. You sit and you watch cop shows all day and you watch reruns of 60 days in and, you know, jail and locked up abroad and these kinds of things. And it's, it's the kind of thing that I knew enough from the inside. I knew enough of the etiquette, both, you know, from the inmate standpoint, which is the fish, don't cry, don't speak, don't, you know, lay quiet because the people that you're in with will never see their children again. They're going off to do Mm -hmm. life or double life. So you don't cry about a year. You don't cry about six months. You know, you keep your head up and you keep your mouth shut. And these these things were very different in Arizona. Now, again, my conditions when they called me and asked me if I would like if I would, they they reached out to me on Facebook. I never interviewed for this show, and I told them I loved it for the first four seasons, but never watched the final episode. It was a joke. Nobody ever found any real corruption. Nobody ever pointed out how drugs were getting into the system. How you know how all this cash, all this you know the nobody ever found out anything so i told them you know great formula but it's always the same at the end they spend more time identifying who each other are than mm-hmm. really paying attention to systematic abuse the the you know the inner workings the you know the 
the whole underlying financial empire. There are guys making $5,000 a day in jail, inside, in custody. And you don't make that off of ramen noodles, off of commissary. It's, um, you know, they're out addicts and they have ways to get it in. Now, how do they get it in? Obviously, there are millions of ways. I mean, they have, they're very creative. But let's be honest, this, the, the COs are the ones to be concerned about. My, my only condition of going undercover was that I didn't know these other seven people. I wouldn't train with these seven people. They wanted all, them all to get to know each other and become friends. And I watched them from the desert play chicken in the pool and do shots and become their own worst enemies. You know, they really got to know each other so that if one was to fall in danger, what keeps one from another one from using that to protect themselves, to give that person up, or in my case, get up under me in some way, either, you know, gain points, brownie points with whatever, you know, whatever race, there were three, or get up under me to protect them, you know, when my job is to protect myself. Mm -hmm. I was, uh, interestingly enough, I was thrown off that television show, and I don't know if you know how hard it is to get thrown out of jail, but I did it. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, I didn't ask to go home. I thought I was, yeah, they threw me out, but um, I can be difficult. But when I said I'm not going in with the rest, New York said, that, that'll never happen. Call back the next day. We love it. You know, no self-respecting undercover operative in a situation with 60 killers locked in all night would ever, you know, give up their identity to a total stranger who you know nothing. I mean, it was it was madness. So I did go in by myself and it was quite an experience. And I saw a lot. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about court systems in Arizona. Mm -hmm. Geography, coming back to geography. But, did uh, you? Yeah. I'm so. Did you find that the guards kept everyone sleep deprived? The the idea is, in from all I've learned from elders, and I mean, I, I've actually sat and done county time with men who have spent 21 years fighting their case. Men who have been in custody so long that they have their own private cell in another building with a fax machine and a color television and the whole nine yards because they need these to defend their cases. They ultimately fail as their own lawyers. But 21 years in custody fighting a case you could have pled guilty and been out by now. But he was convinced that he was that he was innocent. I mean, it's it's a, such a wide variety of, of people. But at the end of the day, we're looking at, for the most part, drugs. It is, you know, a vast majority of this is drugs. I found drugs, a fascinating, you know, way of, of of how they're getting it in. And if they're getting it into this penal system, they're getting it into every county jail in the country. And the mm -hmm. reality of it is the COs are delivering it to them, not just providing them a lighter for $20. You know, that's the going rate, not just providing them a cigarette or a pack of cigarettes, um, but going so far as, you know, drugs, alcohol, and handing, unbeknownst to them, beautifully enough, unbeknownst to them, the mail. The mail is all protected, legal mail in jail. So if I write you a letter and I soak it in high-quality alcohol and marijuana wax, then what you have is a paper that is infused with THC after this, you know, it evaporates. I spray a little cologne on it, send it to you. They look at it under a fluoroscope, see some flash, smell men's perfume. I love you so much, Mayor. I got, you know, I hope Mary, I hope Mary Jane is good, you know, what have you, or from Mary Jane, so you know what it is. And this paper is torn apart in small pieces, and they're sold for $5 a piece so that people can remain. And it's acid, 
it's LSD, you know, obviously acid LSD, it's heroin, meth, and THC is very popular, but so are heroin and meth. And that's how they're making $5,000 a day. When confronted with this information, the sheriff got reelected, but he never changed the policy. Um, it was, um, it was eye opening. It really was. And mm -hmm. see, also, like I said, to see out there in our, in our court system, in our legal system, you don't show your case file. You don't talk about your case. You know, it's your own private personal business. You even tear your return address off, you know, all your, you know, envelopes and, you know, packages and what have you scratch that out. You don't show your personal pictures, but out there, unbeknownst to me, having done some research research, it turns out you show your case file when you walk in a room. Whatever, whatever racial classification you stand with that class under whatever circumstances, if there's a race war, you better be in the middle of it. And the first thing you do is hand them your case. You do that here in Kentucky, you're, you know, you're a fish, you're a snitch, you know, this is a bad thing. You don't do this. But there, it's required. They want to know when you come to the door, are you the real thing? Have you really been charged? Are you, you know, you going to court? What's your deal? What's your story? Where are you from? Um, because they know. They've watched five seasons of this. They know when there's 100 microphones hanging from the ceiling and 50 pan-tilt-zoom cameras following them around, that this is not an untitled prison project for a, a country in Great Britain. This is, you know, this is American television. And this is our fifth run at it. So it was, um, it was interesting. Um, I, was, I was typical me. I love it. I'd do it again. It was great. It really was. I did draw a lot of haters. You know, I had no idea. And my girlfriend told me, she was like, you have no idea the unbelievable onslaught of people who do nothing but hate you all day long. They say terrible, terrible things. And they make these allegations. And that's okay because that's their job. You know, mm -hmm. you just don't, you don't give it any credence. You don't, you know, you don't let it get to you. And these people have, they have their own personal issues. I don't look down on anybody who vents and spews hatred. I, I look down on people who are irresponsible and some of the statements that they make, especially when it regards somebody's life and the court of public integrity, things of that nature. Um, I, I have no quarter for that. And we've seen a lot of that. And, you know, in, in, in all these cases, the truth is, is that from work comp and auto accidents, um, the slip and falls, all that, that's all fun to catch them, you know, carrying two cases of water, and pushing a bass cart with a three-year-old around their leg, but they can't walk, um, you know? And like I said, this does, this does have some impact on the insurance community. The criminal cases led to the capital cases. I've since done fewer murder cases since some of the high profile, and I, I, invariably I'll catch Jessica Dishon in the 90s, um, actually, and Gottlieb, the missing Russian girl who was abducted from a local mall here back in the 80s when I was just a boy. I worked mm -hmm. that case and we found her killer posthumously charged. We found um, we found a lot of things. We found the actual killer for Jessica Dish in 19 years before they announced it. Um, we knew everything that occurred in the Jessica Dish home and what could be presented and how it was presented. I don't believe the attorney was involved. Uh, all the way up to my most recent case, a profile case, which is obviously is this Brianna Taylor thing. Um, I'm very passionate about this too. I have a daughter myself and there, you know, may have seen recent media on that, but I can't, I cannot in, in recent memory, think of anything that has been more rewarding, any court, any victory 
then even the little ones uh, I, I get in family court. Occasionally I get to appear in family court. This is a Commonwealth state. So you can have a hundred girlfriends or a hundred boyfriends. You can cheat day and night and everybody gets half, half custody, half the bills, half the assets, obviously depending on a sliding scale and who makes the most money. You know, the, mm -hmm. the, the system, and I, I understand streamlining. I understand minimums and these these systems which have merit in, in, in thought, but children die as a result. And children fall through the cracks and lead lives that we couldn't even, that we don't even read about in books. You know, some of the work that I do, I see these children, what am I supposed to say? I cannot not help. Um, which brought me to the reason we're here, Doc Russell, Dr. Stephanie Russell here in Louisville. And um, this mind-blowing, in my, in my opinion, in my 30 years, mind-blowing series of events. Um, I got to know Stephanie Russell, surely, excuse me, by accident. We have a mutual acquaintance who finds, who believes that she is one of us, and I believe she is too. She's a crusader. Uh, refers to prefers to remain anonymous now. She's, you know, she's as hell's hell's from a prestigious family and does this completely on her own. Has nine children of her own, adopted most of them, and that you know, obviously, we try to keep a low profile for her and her children. Obviously, I, I'll take the I'll t I'll draw fire if somebody wants to be mad at me because their children were removed from the home or what have you. That's fine she has she's been involved in so much and she was the one who said i have i have a partner in in this war and he's very sick i had acute liver failure in late 2020 unbeknownst to me i don't drink you know i don't take prescription medication they have no explanation for it but i you know personally i have to think that i pushed myself very hard did not take the proper vitamins, nutrition, hydration into consideration. And it, I really just, and I've done it. I've had so many good friends come to me and bring me, bring me meals. Cause you know, I don't cook. I'm not a great cook. Um, but I like, I like food a lot. So, you know, <laughs> as a kindness, they make sure they keep me fed so that I can keep saving the babies. Um, I lost so much money the first year I bought this company and the next year I broke even. And the following year, I did as much pro bono, child endangerment, and you know, victims of family violence. Um, these cases, especially for the underprivileged, that I don't have that. I just don't have what some of my predecessors and some of my former peers in this in this business had, and that is the ability to look somebody in the face in the eye and say, "I need five thousand dollars to get started," and six weeks later. They don't even know your name. Mm -hmm. You have to remind them. Remember, I gave you X amount mm -hmm. of dollars to find my mother. It's it's rampant. It's made me very successful because I always tell them, you know, you can call somebody cheaper, and you know, and then you can call me back, and I'm going to charge you double because now I have to do twice the work to get the job done. But at the end of it, I feel I feel very fortunate. I feel very blessed. So I started giving a little back. You know, like mm -hmm. I knew with nine children, you do not have expendable income. I knew that the cases, the charges that were being 
shared with me enlisting my aid were real. They were straight from the court record. After I met Doc Russell, again, she came as a friend <clears throat> of a friend to treat somebody who was desperately dehydrated, completely wiped out electrolytes. I mean, I pulled IVs out. I left the hospital. I'm not that guy. I cannot, you know, sit hooked up to machines. And she drove an hour across town for a friend of a friend and brought me everything that she could possibly do to replenish my system. Um, Pedialyte, all these special electrolytes and things that, you know, that help stave off and quickly nourish the body that I could, in, you know, mm -hmm. take in. Um, I don't know this woman and I don't know about her case. She knows what I do, but never once did she come to me and say, well, can I hire you? Will you work for me? It was all just, it all just kind of came together. I was very curious. I had been told of some, some very strong inconsistency. I've been asked about my opinion. And in order to do that, I, I have to see it. You know, show me, show me the money, show me the paperwork, show me the order, show me the affidavit. Let me, let me read into it and see what it really says. Um, I'm no attorney by any stretch of the imagination, but God knows I've seen enough of these orders to know who's going where and what's going to happen and when to, when to expect it. Mm -hmm. um, and these orders on this Russell case were, they were painful for mm -hmm. me. And they would not have been painful if I had some minor doubt that any of these statements taken individually or as a whole made by this child during the course. And again, I wasn't present for the beginning of this litigation. Um, and I wasn't officially present for much of it, but I was, the case was open. I kept, you know, I, I kept notes. I paid attention and I, you know, I, I kind of got to know Stephanie Russell a little bit. I wanted to know that if I could help her, you know, am I, as I, I'm doing my due diligence, I have to make sure that my client, I'm not taking one child from somebody who's allegedly, you know, abusive or whatever the case may be, drug addict, mm -hmm. you name it, and giving them to somebody with an even worse neurosis or affliction or, uh, you know, addict addiction. I mean, it's, it's critical that the children are the ones that are important. I don't care about their, they all want to hurt the other. They all want mm -hmm. to take what the other wants. Typically, the males, it's typically males, not all, typically the males go immediately for the kids in the marital residence because they know that that's the nest and that that's, what, that's what she wants. So if they go for that, then they can get bargaining power on the boat and the bike and everything else. It's a startling number of cases, especially, and this one included, in this court included, of a successful Medical professional, white, black, and different, but primarily white. And with and, and many of my clients that I've had, they are affluent or they married, you know, a, well above, you know, financially, they were very secure and they can't afford me. Or attorneys are leery of putting money in the, private, in the, in the pocket of a private investigator when everything I do is a gamble. I can't go out here and make you a promise I'm going to catch I'm doing something or I'm going to, you know, uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to find the magic bullet. I can't, it's irresponsible. I have to tell them it's 50-50, but based on 
this, this other information. It could be 40, 60, 60, 40. This is your gamble. And <laughs> the reality of it is, is that in, into the family court system, I got a, um, I got the ease in. We don't do, we don't do, again, the, the cheating spouse. In North Carolina, you cheat on your spouse, you lose everything. I mean, you lose everything. You leave with the clothes on your back. They get the lake house. They get the boat. They get businesses they can't run. The Carolinas don't mess around. But in Kentucky, you can have 100 girlfriends and get half. Um, unfortunately, it seems like the half that are getting the bigger, you know, the bigger half are the males who entered this relationship. Now, again, this is just an observation based on 30 years of watching this, especially the last 10 or so, particularly the last 10, where young, often handsome, and, you know, educated males uh, have met college students or recent grads, some sort of postgraduate or internship or what have you, uh, they court them, they marry them, they spend five years with them, they have two children with them, and I know I'm getting mathematical here, but it, it's striking when I do the law of averages and I see how this works. During the course of these marriages, they are gathering information, many of them with little cassette recorders, recorders hidden in the house. And they'll provoke, you know, they will actually bump them in the hallway and say, did you say you were going to kill me? They'll accuse doctors and say, well, you're a physician. You said you could kill me and nobody would know it. Um, what? And you hear my client, you know, across the room saying, where did that, are you, you know, do you want to go to the hospital? Are you okay? That was kind of out of left field. Bump them off the wall to start an argument. Um, these are the kind of things that they would hit that record button. And in one particular case, I had five years. They brought in a box of microcassette records. This guy started recording from day one. His, his co-workers, his partner in business for the entire length, almost seven years of marriage, only knew that she was successful. She was something in the medical profession and that she was his retirement plan. They could not tell me her name. They had never seen her at any parties or functions. They didn't know, but when they called, these guys are saying, I got to take this. It's my retirement plan. I got to take this. It's my retirement plan. Now, they never knew the wife. He was just, they were simply referred to as a retirement plan. So I caution females, and I don't want to just say females because men have, you know, have been on the other end of this as well, where, you know, they are, all, they are presented with an individual who is a narcissist and knows exactly what to say and how to say it. They marry these individuals. Everything seems perfect. And this, the bottom suddenly falls out. One day they get up and they leave with the clothes on their back and they file for divorce. They provide all this information showing that they are the primary caretaker, that they do the baths, they do the shower, you know, the, the bake sales, they do the laundry, they do all this while, you know, the female, again, the retirement plan is putting in 12 hour days, you know, to build practice in our given field at the end of it after that five years and that massive alimony check um it gets more and he fights for the children and that's all she wants he can have everything else but she he continues to fight for the children this has been going on for four years um, 
how much of it, if, if any, has been in this particular court, Judge Denise Brown's court. I don't know, but I can name over, you know, at least 10, maybe 12 people. Of course, I can't name them, obviously, that's stupid. But if I, if I could break confidentiality, given consent, I could name at least 10 cases that are highly suspect, two that just stink. Mm -hmm. um, what we're seeing and what I, what I understand, because I, I work in, this, in these courthouses, you know, all over, all over these jails, these facilities, and you get to know the attorneys and you get to know the clerks. After 30 years, we're family. I've seen them come, go, retire out, you know, and you treat them with respect. It's funny, 90% of them are female. 90% of them are running the show, thank God. Uh, there's a female in there because the guys are running around chasing them down to help. Uh, it's great, but it is a, um, a female-driven collection of folks, and it's about respect. As in, I'm sure most states, courthouses are meat markets. People get involved. Attorneys get involved with prosecutors. Judges get involved. I mean, it, it happens. Clerks get involved. And when that happens, then things can fall through the cracks, you know, purposely or accidentally. Um, I've, seen, I've seen some pretty shady shit take place that was not my business in 1991. Mm -hmm. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have internet. We did our cases in the middle of the sticks in the Appalachian Mountains with a giant VHS cassette recorder trying to blend, you know, um, and you don't. So you have to have a good reason for being there and you have to sound like these old boys and you have to look them in the eye. And it's, um, I don't send any of my younger guys. Um, I never, and again, I'm the, I'm the investigator on the Brown and Taylor case. I don't send African-American investigators to Eastern Kentucky. They'll never make it back. However, mm -hmm. a lot of my work is in Louisville in Western, in Western Louisville, and 40% of the population there, and the vast majority of my work there is there. I can't go there. I can't step out of the car in, in, a, in a predominantly Hispanic or African neighborhood, African-American neighborhood, immediately. You know, doors shut, people flee, you know, like cockroaches, and nobody saw nothing, but I can send an African-American male or female or, or Hispanic, depending on, you know, the, the community and doors open, they get dinner, they get Christmas cards, you know, it's a, it sounds terrible. It really does. And I'm, there's not, again, like I said, if there's a racist bone in my body, I wouldn't risk my life to expose the truth about this little girl. I am appalled. I'm, I'm appalled by a lot of things. I'm really appalled. This district court thing. Now, again, I'm not, and I'm not calling Denise Brown a racist. I'm just saying that a large percentage of, of my experience of my clients who've had cases, and I'm going to just use the word railroad. I feel like they were completely ignored despite the severity, despite the source, uh, despite the, con I mean, systematically, their motions based on allegations, whether it was to a family member, to a third party, to, to a court appointed officer during a supervised visitation, whatever it may be. Now, 
and Stephanie Russell, I started seeing these things. And my partner in justice can't help it. You know, she has to share because of the outrage. But the names at the bottom of those reports are court appointed officers. Those are CPS officers. Those are court appointed evaluators, psychiatric evaluators. These are retired sheriffs acting as visitation supervisors. Uh, you know, they're appointed by the courts. Any observations are to be reported back. They are all reported back in court admissible format, certified copies. There's no glitches or loopholes here that, you know, are being, are being exploited. It is, it's the first few were striking because I'm familiar with, I'm familiar with at least one CPS worker who is a, a wonder woman. She works 18 hours a day. She really puts the time in on the cases, but she's really good. So she's able to cover a lot more ground than her younger, you know, her younger counterparts. Um, she can, you know, she can read a lot and she errs on the side of caution. Outstanding. But, but um, again, the system itself is a total disaster. What happens after child support or child protective services and the legal system and the courts themselves fail? Then what? Where do you turn? Who do you call when all the people who are supposed to care not only don't but are blatant about how little they care um don't get me wrong i've seen a number of cases that one party or the other undermine themselves they walk in there and every little scratch and every little bruise and every and the coaching and all that it's it's all real it all takes place it's blatantly obvious it's a uh, one-sided one story and there's usually a, a couple of a couple of things that just are not nonsensical five five-year-old kind of backfilling blanks i raised my daughter she's a doctor and she moved you know she moved far away um to get away from the madness over the mountains but at the end of the day at five years old even though a very bright child the alphabet, you know, we struggled with that. We spent time with that, with the alphabet, learning it, writing it. That was back when cursive was a thing. Remember cursive? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm broken hearted about that. I love cursive. Um, it's an art form, but she, ultimately she, you know, she took another path. And because my path sometimes sends, cut, sends work her way, um, you know, we have a different relationship now. I've um, I've moved away from that, but I've been stabbed three times. I've been stabbed twice. I've been shot three times. She's very much aware. Um, I would never ask her to treat me or anything, but I understand. She took an oath, and it is what it is. In Doc Russell's case, she also took that same oath, but she gave everything. I understand she lived in an apartment. Now. The marital residence, I'd have to look at it, um, but I have looked at it from the exterior multiple times, and I would estimate it at eight or ten bedrooms, attached carriage house. It has a Disneyland feel to it with the spires and the gingerbread trim, all ornately done. 
there is a dusty porch swing on the porch. I've never seen these child, these children outside in the sunlight. I've never seen them play in a front yard. But it was the it was these copies and these recordings I was receiving. And I was like, that's impossible, that's impossible. My personal opinion, this thing was this thing was doomed from the get. I believe, I have every reason to believe, and it can be verified, that there were there was a conflict. Doc, Doc Russell's not allowed to speak, but our attorney was, and so was the judge. And the judge has the last say. Let's just be honest. If my information is correct, Dr. Russell's case should have been passed to another judge immediately. Um, that did not happen for a very long time. And she she's so naive in the ways of the world. She spent she spent her 80s and 90s with her nose in a book, mm -hmm. you know, learning every detail of her craft. And she's she's magic with mm -hmm. children. I mean, it's magical to watch her. Uh, I've just seen home movies of her doing flashcards in the, in, in the bedroom with the kids with for and stuff like that when they were four or five, you know, that kind of thing. But teach a, teach a five-year-old the alphabet in order. That's difficult. That could be difficult. I mean, depending on the child, obviously, and how early you start. But let's say you start at five years old and teach them the alphabet. That could be challenging. The writing, the understanding, the recognizing the characters. Teach a child over a half a dozen highly detailed, deeply disturbing accounts of molestation, uh, forced captivity, um, verbal abuse, abandonment. Primary, primarily what got me was, is always, is invariably the, the physical and sexual abuse. These children do not belong to this individual biologically on any level. My records show that he did not attend any of the in vitro fertilizations that she spent years and thousands of dollars pursuing. He was not supportive of that in any way. He didn't want children. He couldn't have them. So she did it. And despite, as I understand it, Ken, multiple, multiple miscarriages, she continued on. And she came out with two beautiful children. Her husband, she didn't know him. If she did, she wouldn't have married him. If she did, then she wouldn't have trusted him. She wouldn't have allowed him to trust him or her, vice versa. There wouldn't have been that trust built and it wouldn't have been destroyed because one or the other party didn't turn out to be who they presented as, who they interviewed as, who they you know represented themselves as. The men in these cases, again, it's a huge influx. I consider it a huge influx, one a year, you know, this is a trend. I'm seeing a trend and it's just me in those cases that I'm called upon in the higher courts and social economic, you know, the reality of it is, you know, your typical lower class family cannot afford an, and afford any type of investigator to pursue somebody with a long history of drug use or sectional abuse. I mean, many of that's a lot of that's on file on record public record and I direct clients to that as well um, the, the divorce again as I said in a commonwealth state there's no fault so that doesn't come into it that's more of a 
it's a release. It's a counseling experience, you know, in family court so that they understand what's coming. They know they've been lied to. And I tell them immediately, you don't need me. You know, you wouldn't be on the phone with me if you didn't already have the receipt for the flowers or the hotel or the emails or whatever, you know, but what you, what you really want is to see it. You want to see it in color with a date and time stamp. You want to, you want to be able to look back at it in six months or a year and say, I wasn't insecure. I was, I deserved better. I am better. And this, this really happened. I try to, whether they try to stretch the framework of their perfect man over this, you know, over this farce or vice versa. She did not know this man. I try to explain to her, you never did. You never will. There's no looking, you know, there's no what could have been because it never was. <laughs> the man almost, almost to the day, per, you know, per this pattern, this disturbing pattern, it's on record. Divorces her after five years, obtains custody of the children. This guy, this, this guy is falling does not apply to this that you know the boy who cried wolf is this is this is not a case of that all of these various agencies and all these representatives did not get together independently over the course of two years and say hey you know what we ought to do we ought to take the sweetest lady who ever gave her last dime to a child whoever stayed up all night holding a child's hand or whispering or singing to them we yeah we ought to we ought to destroy her my biggest and primary concern was the repeated, complete disregard of viable court witnesses providing testimony that didn't vary in, in the stories. It varied in the nature of the abuse widely. I mean, you teach a kid the alphabet. It's one thing. You teach them six or more various scripts with the answers to any question readily available there's um i don't know and again i don't maybe i'm wrong i totally admit that I, it's a, there's a very real possibility i'm wrong but after after watching and hearing and seeing you can't fake this you can't teach this and you can't script this they trusted from ages four and up they trusted they didn't trust anybody clearly beyond their mother but they they confided in all of these people individually privately about you know things that were going on during that two-year time period and each and every one of them was outright ignored ignored now that that you know that's concerning there are other courts where the family courts they're they're the minority but if one is lucky enough to get a one of two family court judges, they have a fair shake. These are progressive-minded, enlightened, intelligent women who understand that the whole court system is a game for these people. Now, they have tried to regulate that, but in doing so, they've, you know, they've cast these blanket dictates on families so that despite the history despite the current drug use yesterday on videotape she's shooting heroin but today she's given joint custody because mm -hmm. the courts believe that the child should be with their mother and i quote even if she's a raging heroin addict 
mm-hmm. even if she's a radiant not not to say father is the sunday school teacher and he plays in you know plays in the mass and you know is, is deeply religious and providing for the children and doing everything because she is smoking meth it's meth heroin it's destroying our it's destroying the fabric of our society doc russell was none i mean she never even had a parking ticket mm-hmm. you know you look at some of the other players in this thing but there are undeniable federal connections to law enforcement past past present likely future and it's documented not just by me but in their referrals and their federal government and their database searches and light surveillance and in unequivocally individuals who have identified themselves there's an entire enclave in our city that only retired federal agents, ATF, DEA, U.S. Marshals, FBI, you know, these are the, these, this is the area that they've, they've kind of set aside for themselves. And they all, and, they, and each and every one of them point into their homes, big, fine homes, and tell me, yeah, I'm Secret Service. I live next door. I'm U.S. Marshals. I, I live next door. Down the street is two FT, ATF guys, the whole neighborhood. So you couldn't pull it, you know, when you pulled in this neighborhood, we knew you were here in high tech, high tech surveillance because I was invisible, but they made it a point to tell me about their federal affiliations and that, and their concerns and, and they departed without incident. I stuck around. If you leave immediately, you're guilty. So I spent a couple of hours, um, just being very still and quietly slipping out, but I got video of it. It, um, it was alarming. The um, the recusal, the ignoring of, I'm indisputable in, in my opinion, but it's just my opinion. I'm no expert. I don't have any formal training in this, but I've, I've seen this thousands of times over 30 years in my cases and other cases and cases all over the world. I study this. this it's us and them. Um, his known associates were curious until a news program broke and she was arrested by the FBI. I'm puzzled, Mayor. I'm puzzled by this. Um, in my history, and again, I, I worked for I worked for an officer who was who started out as the assistant chief of police here in a little town called Shively, and. It's a long, it, long story made short, he ultimately switched to the private sector and became a, a private investigator. We spent a lot of time on these things. We spent a lot of time for free on these things, listening and investigating and observing and talking to people, people from their past, people from, you know, people who had sworn awful allegations about them in the past, who referred us to other awful people, you know, other people who were treated terribly by these people. I didn't, again, I did notice a common thread between, you know, the Uber, not Uber successful, but the more successful clients in her, in her courtroom. Many of my clients are female. Again, the disparity between male cheaters, women cheaters, it's closing, you know, but for 10 years, the first 15 years, it was primarily the men. 
women have since and men have men will cheat with anything these days it's unbelievable at least the women have some have some boundaries and have some class about it but the reality is it doesn't affect that so i do custody mm -hmm. i mean 80 percent of my domestic work is custody battles um they're ugly there's always something whether it's the court itself the judge the attorney the prosecutor there there is invariably some piece that drops the ball whether and and this this expands to the guardian ad litems the case workers with 1300 cases a year here in jefferson county on their plate 1300 cases i don't work 1300 cases in two years and still couldn't possibly devote the attention that they needed the you know the fbi involvement makes zero sense from a court perspective my entire life my entire existence in this in this industry my mentors were former law enforcement so i learned a lot about law enforcement as it applied and i, I learned a lot about the the divisions and those areas that specialized and this the culture in general so for many years we did homicide it was very basic homicide report of a of a case of an alleged case like this they take a look at it. if there's any merit to it they may pursue it you know, i mean you never heard about these things it's very rare but when it did happen and it did um homicide handled that in recent years they've the caseload is so high the staff rate is so low that they've they've divided us into major crimes which could be anything from you know rape murder armed robbery capital crimes, you know, murder, that kind of thing. Again, these are divisions of the Louisville Metro Police Department, a municipal area and a community that is, you know, I mean, we are, we're the 16th largest in the country. You know, we, our, our county and state are one and we, we still can't get it right. The idea that an FBI agent was involved in this in the first place is questionable why this is handled this is handled locally by local mm -hmm. officers this was in jefferson county this was not interstate this was not you know i mean again i haven't seen the case file i'm just blown away what in the hell is the fbi doing conducting sting operations and arresting her and placing her in federal custody when this is typically handled by the state if it reaches a superior court circuit and it's the long prison sentences if convicted. This woman, over years, uh, not only failure by those she trusted, systematic and pl almost planned, it seems. I mean, it's almost as if from the moment she walked into this courtroom, she could not get a break. All of these completely disregarded reports were ordered by her. Now, understand this this is this is just the tip of the iceberg um, his mutual acquaintances her constant and epic defeats in court wore her down i know i spoke to her i didn't go into detail on her case because at the end of the at the end of the day we were in the height of covid so that nobody was leaving the house. I was unable to observe or really make contact with individuals. You know, this was a dead time. And the only thing that happened was the murder of each and every shining ray of hope she had. Mm -hmm. And we'd go in 
head held high, can't lose this time. This is a sheriff who knows nothing about the case. Dismissed. Why? Why and what? what's the pattern? Is there a pattern? I can't say, I would have to see numbers. I'd have to see all the family court judges numbers on divorce and socioeconomic ratio is static, but you know, those winning, losing, it has, you know, it has shifted, but only slightly since it's all joint. Even mm -hmm. if they just, they were just released from manufacturing methamphetamine for 17 years, even if they were just released on homicide, Tina Quarles, Quarles Q-U-A-R-L-E-S, -E back in the late 80s, early 90s, was convicted of drowning her four-year-old because she couldn't afford crack. You know, she fed the other three. No, she drowned the four-month-old in the tub, and she bought crack instead of Infamil. When she was released 10 years later, she immediately got her daughter back. All of her children. She got all three of her children back. Um, again, I don't know if this is in if this is in Denise Brown's courtroom, I haven't had the pleasure of appearing before Denise Brown, but I don't see, you know, I, I yet to see any good, any good reason. She has, you know, outright shot down everything that Dr. Russell suffered through that she knew about, that she lived with, that she laid awake at night and over years and years when they don't hear her screams, you got no voice and she had no power. She went through a deep, dark, depressive sta stage and yet got up every morning and put that smile on and helped those children till late in the evening. She was completely hollow from just defeat after defeat. Hopelessness is a killer. She started out a very naive, hopeful person thinking that she was being, things were being properly represented and handled. She had no idea how, how poorly they were handled and how questionably they were handled. Um, the FBI, I don't, I don't understand. It makes zero sense. But again, that's just, you know, that's just me. Family court systems have been, well, you know, I don't have mm -hmm. to tell you. And good luck on your, on your Texas uh, gathering. You got coming up there. Some, you know, that's, that sounds that sounds great. And September, Austin in September, very mm -hmm. nice. That's going to be fantastic. The um, the last the last six months have been tough. I had two boys, ages three and four, both living in a one bedroom apartment, being hidden, living with a drug addict, an armed drug addict with a you know with a warrant, and then their biological mother. I located them. They were sleeping on the floor, no furniture. They were ate, ate up with lice. They were ate up with sores. They were pasty and malnourished. And I, I recall the larger, the three-year-old coming to the door and he was holding one tab of his diaper was, was still affixed or he was holding it affixed. But the sheer weight from, you know, from having it on for days had busted the other side. He was almost modestly trying to cover himself up, but he just stood and he stared. Um, later that night, we returned with, I believe, seven interstate jurisdictions, federal, local, both sides. And we took the children. They were charged with one with, with wanton neglect of a dependent. She gets the little one back next week. This was just three months ago. She gets the little one back next week. 
the larger one, it's fine where he's at in, in foster care. Now, I'm puzzled, Mary. Mm-hmm. How is this possible? How is it possible that CPS, who's handled this from the beginning, is recommending that the child go back to a known drug addict, someone who has lied to the court, somebody who continues to lie to the courts, somebody who's stated such things under record that I'm surprised she hasn't spent most of this time in contempt. When you stand up in the courtroom and say the invest, the private investigator on this case snuck into my one bedroom apartment in the ghetto, planted methamphetamine in my children's system, and then snuck back out, he took my children. No, dear, you, you took your children when you smoked meth and let them get mm-hmm. beat up by flies. And that, so, you know, everybody else is always to blame. Um, the 11 year old girl, what concerns me, and it's just become rote for me when CPS fails, crimes against children, the LMPD, the cop, when the police fail and the courts fail, who's left? Who's left, Mary? Who do they, who do they turn, who do they have to turn to? Somehow, I've been fortunate enough to be one of the people who got those calls. Um, and I know that my success, my, you know, my longevity in this business has everything to do with what I get back. And I love these cases. I work as many, I work as many hours on the endangered children and victims of domestic violence as I do on my own paying cases. The family courts have been a nightmare and a dream. There are a couple of, you know, of, of very intelligent CPS investigators. There are a couple of highly enlightened judges, Haggerty, Calvert, that get the truth. But the truth is not being pursued in these matters, particularly, again, I keep going back to Stephanie Russell. Nobody followed up on these. Nobody investigated. I don't recall any medical examinations or anything and I was, you know, I was kept apprised of these things long after the attorneys had changed and things had changed. The only thing that had not changed was Denise Brown and the fact that hopelessness is a killer. Mm-hmm. I asked almost 100 women from all different walks of life in this particular situation, when everything else failed, what would you do? Of course, the first answer was to call me, um, and that's flattering. You know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm honored that you think I can, you know, I can work this out. And uh, for 30 years, I've been very lucky at it. But there's, there's, there's a huge disparity in there. There's a completely disregarded constitutional law, and now we have arrests by federal agents and all his best friends. You know, all this. You know, there are people whose best friends are federal agents and it, it, it somebody's, you know, and nobody's going to look at this as it stands. I feel very strongly that Doc Russell is, wasn't, was led down the primrose path that she, like all stings, was first approached by someone on her level, someone who shared experiences and ultimately befriended her in her weakest moment when nobody would listen anymore, no matter what she brought to court, no matter who said it, no matter who, who signed the affidavit, it didn't matter. And she was completely broken down, as I understand, living in an apartment and flat broke. 
flat broke. So if you could be any lower and live every single day believing, I mean, we don't know, we weren't there, but fully in your heart, believing that your children were being victimized continuously on a daily basis by someone you considered an abuser, a narcissist, someone that nobody's ever really taken a good hard look at, much less these, these allegations. She, it broke her. It broke her spirit. Even, even I could not do much in a way of investigating this individual simply, like I said, because of COVID, because I didn't want to rock a very unstable boat. And I'm not at this point officially involved. My involvement may come later um, with some of the information I've gathered here, some of the things that I've observed. Family courts aren't all bad, Mary, just the vast majority of them. <laughs> you know, the, and the silver bullet here is not, is not just the judges. The judges are human beings that over 30 years at every election, some have come and paid me. Attorneys have paid me because they wanted that district court seat. It's $80,000 a year. You work four hours a day, great benefits. You're out of the private, you know, that's, that's what they aspire to. So they buy information. I'm an information broker um, and they get elected sometimes qualified, sometimes not, but regardless, all human, all with their own prejudices, their own biases, their own set of beliefs, their own small minded insecurities, perhaps, perhaps this person reminds them of someone who took their lunch money. I don't know, mm -hmm. but you know, I, it's startling to watch the two boys not only separated, but one of them giving back, like, you know, well, here, take this one. We'll, you know, we'll take care of this one. This one was granted permanent custody with the adopted mother. This one, you can go back to the, to the ghetto. I, I'm, I'm stumped by that. Last year, I had an 11 year old girl who was being held captive by a family member in a home. He had not taken out the trash in almost two years. So you can imagine a three bedroom home in which the trash had not been taken outside. So it stacked the ceiling, obviously upstairs, they've been pushed to the downstairs where everything. So she was curled and, and bent like a question mark. She was so dirty that her hair was slicked back like it was, like it was shaved. He gave her a cup of tap water and a pop tart and she was nonverbal. She was thicker around the knees than she was around the calves and elbows. She would walk to the door and bounce. She would bounce off the door and she would walk to the railing of the deck and bounce almost like a, you know, those old arcade games where the bear goes back and forth. You know, this went on, she was nonverbal for a long time. Um, but I was able to talk to her and told her that dad's working on the house. You know, he needs you to go see mommy and stay with her while he gets the house cleaned up, you know, for you guys. And I, I went, um, you know, they want to see you. And eventually, Somehow she made it down those stairs, so weak. And she got in the car and I strapped her in. She smelled like that wet, hot juice in the garbage of your garbage can in the summertime. Mm -hmm. this, the, the smell coming out, no 11 year old. Now she's perfectly physically fit. She's, she's filled out, she's tan. She's involved in every intramural activity in middle school. She's doing, you know, uh, 
debate, cheerleading. I mean, everything that they're offering her music, you know, she's engaged. She has mm-hmm. friends. She is a, a totally different child than that catatonic child. But what happened was that I, I contacted all the proper authorities, told them what was going on, told them about the mental inquest warrant. They would not serve it because he was armed. Then they pushed me through to SWAT, to SWAT after a week. And I said, I need your help. There's an 11 year old girl being held. He has a gun and his neurosis. I'll tell you what his neurosis was. He's brilliant, a genius. He would buy a, he would buy a 3D printer and use and write code to create another 3D printer and another one and another one until he had printed rooms of 3D printers. The kid was so brilliant. It was my mind, but too brilliant in the end. Insofar as he had done an aerial survey of his neighborhood, a very prominent neighborhood, but also one that has a higher than per capita number of cemeteries, the big cemetery, older cemeteries in the central business district. And because that's where the highest concentration of zombies were going to rise from the ground and eat his family's brains, he decided to run off with the little girl. Hmm. He told the wife that she should kill the child, kill the boy and kill herself since she didn't care enough to keep them from being eaten by zombies. Um, But um, SWAT said, I can't help you. The commander of SWAT in the Louisville Metro Police Department said, I don't know what to tell you. And I said, what, what, what next? What's mm-hmm. my next step? You know, I'm a civilian here. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm deferring to you guys as the experts. I don't want to get anybody hurt. I've built a rapport with this person. But, you know, somebody's going to get this child out here. This is going on weeks. And he said, there is no next step. What do you mean there's no next step after SWAT? What happens after SWAT? When SWAT can't do it, who does it? Where do I go? State police, feds, what, what we don't really have a protocol. So because there's an 11 year old child in a house and there's a gun in this house, you will not go in and save her. But if that was your 11 year old daughter, this is all recorded. I, you know, I'm I'm speaking to the commander of the SWAT team of the Louisville Metro Police Department. If you won't go in and get her, then I will. And he told me, if you can get your, if you can get in there and get your hands on him and drag him out, I'll arrest him. Um, isn't that your job? Aren't you the mm-hmm. SWAT commander? Aren't you the end-all, be-all for these children? And you won't go in? What if that was your 11-year-old daughter? Um, you know, two, 20 years ago, this isn't new, 20 years ago, I laid on the hood of a Cadillac outside a liquor store in the worst part of town while a beautiful young divorcee shot heroin, so much heroin, that she nodded off at the front seat of a running Cadillac with a two-year-old, untethered, un- no seatbelt, no car seat, running rampant, running back and forth across the back seat. This Cadillac, 17 minutes, she lay there with that needle hanging out of her arm, blood dripping, the child clueless, mommy, mommy. We got custody, but we got custody when she overdosed. The father got custody. He mm-hmm. fought for years to prove it. And we have video of her through the windshield, nodded out, and the judge said she belongs with her mother. It's an antiquated 200-year-old system. Mm -hmm. It's based on the fact that the child should be with their biological mother under any circumstances. That's not the case. Um, You know, and it's not a male-female problem. And in today's day and age where we have these huge advances in in LGBTQ rights and marriages and things like that, these people are are just like us. They're going to have marital issues. They're going to, they're going to 
harm each other or divorce each other and it's going to be ugly and it, it's it's because they're people but the problem is is that underneath those black robes those are people too and when they get up and they're in a bad mood or you walk in that courtroom and they see something whether it's something as simple as a tiny tattoo or you're not wearing a tie or your color whatever i can't say but i can say that you know it seems to me in my experience in over a thousand courtrooms that the case is decided from jump you know who the attorney who the client is what the allegations are you know they they just know in this particular case um dr russell does not belong in a cage mm -hmm. dr russell was a broken woman she was not okay as everybody male and female i've spoken with have said and again the common the, the what i hear most is that if somebody was doing that if i believe somebody was doing that to my children i would kill them myself i would die for my children and this is this is the maternal instinct um you don't see it often sometimes in family court they choose the boyfriend over the kids and give the kids away to strangers Sometimes, you know, sometimes they take the kid home and dope it up with Benadryl and take a three-year-old pretty little blonde to an expensive hotel where they trade mm -hmm. her for three hours, let them dress her up in, you know, outfits and do things to her for enough heroin to get through the next shift. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so this is not, this is nothing new. But, you know, it's, can, yeah. Can I ask you one, um, with what you've seen, you know, would you say... 50-50 shared parenting is a good idea? It's, it's a complete irresponsible and utter, utterly dangerous act directed at the children. They're the ones who suffer. The parents, you know, again, for whatever, whatever, whatever their personal reasons are, typically they're pawns. Typically they are a paycheck. They want joint custody so they don't have to use a sliding scale on a, you know, on an algebraic ruler to figure out who's going to pay what. And it's just easier to say everybody gets 50-50 custody when nobody has really looked. And even right now, they're giving half of this woman's children away to back to her. It was three months they were infected with methamphetamine, ate up with lice, covered in sores. She gets one back, you're going to separate the bread. What the what is going on? What is wrong with the system? Now, I've seen good things come from family court, and that's why I keep fighting in there, and that's why I do it free. Because if you go in and you have an agenda, and you're some high-priced, you know, big, you know, big city lawyer, and you make thousands of dollars off of this doctor or what have you, it seems very mercenary. Mm -hmm. Dr. Russell paid me one dollar. That was my retainer so that I could maintain confidentiality about anything I found out, and frankly. Everything I found out is public record. So, you know, I, you know, I pose this question to the public. First of all, why wasn't the judge recused when there was a clear conflict? Why wasn't these repeated, varying reports, affidavits, audio, video, why was each and every one of these summarily ignored, to my knowledge, without even being reviewed? Why is the FBI handling a major crimes case that's a state-level case. Why are they involved and why is she in federal custody? The day after the man who shot the candidate for our mayor 
in next year's election. Shot him, bullet hole through his, through his clothes. That's how close he came to murdering this man in his own office and his family and his quarter. He was out the next day on bond. HIP. Mm -hmm. Stephanie is, Stephanie's a human being. She's a citizen. She's a civilian. These people are animals. They're convicts, you know, and she is currently surrounded by people who see her as a ticket out. She's mm -hmm. a get out of jail free card. All I have to have is one brief conversation with her, turn to their attorney and say, I have information about this case and their <laughs> jailhouse snitches. Um, so that concerns me a great deal. Um, the whole thing seems to have but we've got to, we've got to elevate this. Somebody's, somebody somewhere has got to give a damn, you know? <laughs> and the only people that do so far are her attorney, David Maurer. <laughs> he, he's, he's, He's all she's got. He's her best hope. But, you know, it's just like anything else. You want to hire, you know, you want to hire a cheap investigator, you get what you pay for. You want to mm -hmm. hire a cheap lawyer, you get what you pay for. David Maurer and his associates, again, I've never done work for them. They're not clients of mine, but I know their work after 30 years. And I know mm -hmm. their work in criminal court. I know their work in circuit court. And I know that they don't do frivolous, you know, cases that they go in with the hammer with the nails and you know they systematically nail this down to the facts and the facts it don't mean the facts don't mean that people instantly are released from custody here's your clothes go home but it could mitigate this let's agree that this is a woman who's been through a lot and that some mm -hmm. some counseling is definitely in order perhaps years of counseling after what she's been through if what happened to her children happened, and I believe with all my heart that it did, I can't say, but I believe it did, they'll come back to her. You know, she will get her children back, which is all she cares about. If we can get her through this time, um, what can I do? How can I help? Well, you know, the media has painted her in a different light, and um, <clears throat> I've been painting her in a different light <laughs> these these podcasts are i know some of these people even the anonymous ones i can know who they are i would never speak their names but i'm familiar with certain aspects of little things and at the end of the day these are intelligent educated responsible tax-paying members of the community who whose whose opinion count you know these aren't people who've never been there or don't know anybody have no experience haven't these are people these are the people who know and the people who know are the ones who are most afraid to come forward because it's a very vindictive, you know, game, mm -hmm. you know, and careers are ruined on, mm -hmm. you know, on, on me speaking out against the judge, even in, out, in, in, in just supposition, you know, it's not uh, it's career suicide. Mm -hmm. I don't care. I could care less about that. There are other family courts. Or I can, or I can save, and I can continue to save, and I will. Um, it's gone on for a long time, but Mayor, again, we do not have the manpower in CPS. We do not have the manpower in the LNPD or any of their special divisions. We do not have the manpower in the courts to follow up, to even follow up and do basic witness statements. You know, whatever their process is with small children. But I, I couldn't teach my four-year-old the ABCs. I sure as hell couldn't teach her six bearing scripts with ready-made answers that five-year-olds don't know. Um, so we go higher. 
we go public, we go media, but we can't do that until the powers that be, David and his associates, do their job. And they have to be given time to do their job, which means she gets to lay for months on end. And it's not 24 hours a day. It's not, it's not a luxury resort. This is a, this is a cage. Solitary, mm -hmm. No books, no writing, no reading materials, no pencils, no pen. And you are alone 24 hours a day with the 20 minutes they take you out for recreation. You have mm -hmm. some, some electronic privileges, but still in all, she just, she's, I don't know what kind of shape she's in. I can't imagine what kind of shape she's in, but she's going to need some therapy after this. And I think that's the best course of action. Um, that's what needs to happen. And that's what I'm fighting for. You know, let's, let's, let's get, let's get her back and then let's get her, let's get her story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to be powerful. Um, and like I said, she owes you a big old hug, Miss Mayor. Like I said, you've 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 fought you fought the good fight when nobody in this city is fighting a good fight. You're halfway across the country, you know. Mm -hmm. And I hear you say the name, and it it brings chills, and it's you know it gets people's attention. It's very powerful. Thank you. Well, thank you for coming on the show and to talk. <laughs> And I, I appreciate your time and I'm, I'll probably have you back on as a return guest. <laughs> I'd love that. That'd be great. Definitely. So um, is there any last words you'd like to say? Yes, we need, we need government funding. We need funding for more CPS, more court investigators, more, more truth-seeking individuals, non-biased, third-party truth-seeking individuals who can at least devote enough time to speak to a witness, to interview somebody, to put them on a phone, whatever needs to be done, however we can streamline this process. They're understaffed. It's a matter of money. Just like it's a matter of money in Stephanie Reynolds' case, or Stephanie Russell's case, she can't afford this attorney. You know, we're doing everything we can to raise money. I think somebody's doing it go from me. I don't know, but I know that she needs this lawyer and, we're going to do everything we can to get it. So we appreciate any help we could get. Um, this is life changing. This is, this is, this is family court changing, you know, stuff here. So I'm, I'm proud to be a part of it. I'm at your disposal and I'll keep you posted with uh, you know, developments in Louisville. Okay. Well, great. Hey, don't jump off. Uh, Slam the Gavels, a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again here with Detective Steve Thomas and other exciting guests. Thank you again, Steve. Thank you, Marianne.